You are now tuning in to Discover Your Potential with radio talk show host Dan Gilman, Cindy Gilman's son. So listen, participate, be inspired, know that you can discover your potential. Here he is, Dan Gilman. Welcome to Discover Your Potential. I'm your host, Dan Gilman, and it is an absolute pleasure. Uh, we have an amazing guest uh, today. His name is Steve Sims. He's the founder and CEO of the luxury concierge service Bluefish. In 2017, Sims published a book, Bluefishing, The Art of Making Things Happen. Steve, welcome to Discover Your Potential. It's such a pleasure for you to be here today. I'm, I'm, I'm honored. Thank you very much. Thank you. I, I I do want to start about your your history your your past is 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 amazing how you started and as and and became the top concierge but also you you do so many other things too you you work at you know you have your speakeasy uh, on on stage and I'd love to talk to you about more about everything that you're doing and and go into how you discovered your potential. Do you know the funny thing is. I don't think it is that interesting. And I actually don't think it's any different to anybody else. Um, I grew up uh, just outside of London, um, left school at the age of 15, ended up working on my dad's building site and just suddenly started getting aggravated. And like all entrepreneurs, we're aggravated when things aren't going right. So it was a case of why am I not driving around in a nice car? Why, Why don't I even have a car, you know? Is this my future? Is this it? So I had a lot of aggravation in me. Mm. That aggravation propelled me to go out and try and meet affluent people. Now, I'm a very primitive tool in the shed. You know, I work, you know, with one goal or two goals and that's it. I don't complicate my life at all. And as a young lad with no money, I thought the answer was to talk to people with money. So I literally went out and would go up to people that were were rich. And there's a key word why I keep calling them rich. Yeah. I would go up to rich people and I'd go, hey, how come you're rich and I'm not? Hmm. Now, as you can appreciate, a young, obnoxious, hot-headed British biker like me hmm. coming up to you in a pub and asking you that question, that would cause you a bit of a concern. Um, <laughs> right. And so it didn't do well. And also at the time, I realized that I equated rich with money. I equated success, wealth with money. Everything was, when you're 18 years old, you want a million dollars. You don't want a comfortable life. You don't want secure relationships. You don't want credibility. You haven't recognized any of those things. You just want a million bucks and a fancy car. Um, And so I went out to try and find it. I actually... I, I bounced around so many jobs and eventually a friend of mine that I knew from school who was a stockbroker in London got me an interview for a trainee stockbroker position. Um, bearing in mind, I was working on the building site and still looking bald and ugly like this. But the interview was in like this massive great room with, I don't know, 200 other people. Mm. And I will say I may have been a little bit loose with the truth on my resume, Um, but uh, I got the job and I got the job with 60 other trainees. What they hadn't told us was that the job was in Hong Kong. So they literally transferred me from London to Hong Kong. 
Um, I landed on the Saturday. I got drunk on the Saturday, got drunk on the Sunday, did orientation on the Monday, and I was fired on the Tuesday. Oh, wow. um, they realized that I had slipped through the cracks. And again, entrepreneurs, we go, okay, that closed. What's going to open? You know, th- that doesn't work. What will work? You know, we always look at the opportunity. You know, the uh, classic Sean Stevenson, let's see how I can make this be done for me, not to me. Mm-hmm. Um, and I had that mentality. So I remember working on the door with two other meatheads. And these meatheads just wanted to avoid a fight and to go home. Me, I wanted to see how I could use that nightclub to brush up on my skills of psychology, human interaction, building up my communication skills. You know, you often talk about politicians being great communicators. Have you ever gone into a bar and watched a bartender? These people are masters at how they communicate with different bouquets of people. You know, you'll see that see a different culture, they'll recognize it straight away. This person wants to be pandered with. This person can take a joke. This person I can flirt with. That person's with their wife. I shouldn't flirt with that. They know all of this in a millisecond. Yeah. Bartenders are phenomenal at that. So I was watching them and then I was watching the people and I was growing. And then I started watching how affluent people were, not those that pretended to be affluent but truly affluent and the comfort they had in their affluence. Mm. And I started just trying to communicate with him. And I went back to this word, how come you're rich and I'm not. Mm-hmm. I suddenly knew where all the nightclubs were. And I was a pretty good doorman because I never got into a lot of fights. I knew how to control the door to remove the problems inside. Mm. Um, and that's an important lesson I, I teach today in my coaching protect your front door if you protect your front door you alleviate 99 percent of the problems once they're inside so i don't care if i'm taking on a new coaching client i don't care if i'm doing an event i don't care if i'm doing a podcast i protect it like it was the front door of a nightclub Hmm. you know do i want this person mingling with my crowd inside so i started doing that Started uh, telling people where good nightclubs were. I went from good nightclubs to taking over private parties to ending up working with Elton John for eight years. Um, Incredible. I worked with some of the biggest events in the planet by strictly sticking to that process of protect my front door and let only the right people in. And while I was getting paid for that, and it then developed into the world's leading concierge firm, it was a Trojan horse. I only actually ever did it because I wanted to have a conversation with affluent people. And my first question was, how come you're rich and I'm not? Terrible question. Mm -hmm. Then I would tweak it to, how come you're wealthy and I'm not? It's a bit better, but I would get things like, well, I found my wife and I had kids and I started adopting donkeys and I I joined the church. And none of those answers could help me. I'm not going to marry your wife and I'm not going to join your church. So (laughs) that didn't help me. Yeah. And then my final tweak was, how come you're successful and I'm not? Hmm. And people would tell me how they viewed opportunity, how they handled relationship. And I was starting to get that one-on-one education from some of the greatest minds in the world by helping them 
meet Elton John or Elon Musk or playing drums with Guns N' Roses or, you know, visiting the Vatican at midnight, I would be doing all of these amazing experiences to get our attention to ask the questions that would make me successful. And that's how I grew. So let me get this. You played percussion with Guns N' Roses? Yeah. Wow. Badly. I'm terrible. <laughs> now, this was done for my client, but uh, Matt Sorum, the drummer of Guns N' Roses, oh yeah, he he's actually probably changed his attitude now, but he said to me at the time, he went, Steve, anyone can, can play music. And I went, no, I can't. And they went, he said, anyone can play music. So he gave me the drums, and I played on his drum set in wow. his studio, and he laughed at me. So I think he That's now incredible. believes what I said and not him. That's incredible. So you got to meet Axl Rose and all the other crew members? No, Axl was the only – this was uh, post, oh, this uh, post that departure. So I've gotcha. met Slash, uh, Duffy, uh, the whole oh, wow. crowd, and Matt. Um, but hanging out in Matt's studio – I actually brought my kids. Um, <laughs> they must and seeing, seeing Matt Sorum teach my youngest, who was like seven years old at the time, how to play drums, I'm thinking to myself, you're never going to know – how great this moment is, but you're playing drums with one of the greatest yes. rock fans of all time. Absolutely. You know, absolutely. Wow, that must have been incredible. That beats my. Uh, I I was lucky enough to meet BB King, but uh, <laughs> but that beats my BB King story. I don't oh, think it beats it. I just think it was a different generation. Yeah, you know, different. yeah, yeah. Uh, bearing in mind, you know, people talk about the Rolling Stones. People talk about the Beatles. Yeah. They were different eras. B.B. King, different eras. Yeah, B.B. King was the Guns N' Roses of that era. That's true. So it was a, no, it, it doesn't beat, but it's a, it's a good, uh, it's a good comparison. I'd love to hear more about the Elton John. So he's a very careful man to interact with. Mm. Um, he doesn't tolerate stupid conversations or stupid people very well. And for years, people want stuff out of him. He, yeah, and let's not let's not color it any other way. Elton John is one of the last living icons. Yes. You know, you've only got to say Elton, and everyone knows who you're talking about. So, yeah. um, I, I pray he obviously lasts for many many years. But there's not many people that have been at the top of that game. Yes, in like every decade. That's true. You know, right. and it's always been him. The guy's never not toured. There's not been a single year that he's not had number ones. You know, there's no one that's done that. You know, you talk about Justin Bieber or Taylor Swift or uh, um, Beyonce. And may, you may go, oh, Beyonce's more famous than Elton John. She hasn't been around for as long as Elton John. And yeah. also, she hasn't been as successful every single decade as Elton True. John. So it's still pretty amazing for him to be able to do what he is. So he's very abrupt. He's very sharp. When you speak to him, make it concise, make it easy to understand. You know, he's not going to sit there and talk about what you're watching on Netflix. <laughs> um, but my whole goal was to get a better standard of people to come to the Sir Elton John Oscar party. So I ended up working with that Oscar party for, I think it was eight years. Um, we finished. I finished um, a year before COVID. And I was kind of like considering renewing the contract. And I decided not to. I decided to take a break because it's quite 
stressful. Um, And then COVID struck, and boy, was I lucky I wasn't involved in it during that period. Oh, yeah, that's true. And it's still still striking. We've, yeah, you know, the the whole Oscars, where is that usually at the end of February? What are they, like March or April this year? Yeah. You know, so a lot of, and Elton's not even at his Oscar party this year. He's um, doing a a concert because he's got to catch up on all of his concert dates. I know. There's a lot of musicians that are, trying to catch up now yeah it's a weird old time it is it's definitely interesting that's for sure i will tell you funny because you obviously have a um a passion for music yeah yes i did serenade with andrea bocelli i duetted with andrea bocelli and he wasn't too happy about it (laughs) (laughs) so i had a client of mine that wanted to have um I was challenged with doing an amazing dining experience for him in mm-hmm. Florence. Um, and this is shallow plug for my book, Blue Fishing. This is actually in the book um, that I wrote about this, uh, one of these experiences. But um, I, I had to give the client some amazing uh, dining experience in Florence. So I ended up taking over the Academia de Galleria Museum. Oh, wow. Setting up, a, and the, if no one, if no one's ever heard of the name of that museum, and I hadn't, but it's the museum that houses Michelangelo's David, the world's most iconic and famous statue. Yes. And so we took over the museum from like three o'clock in the afternoon to like two o'clock in the morning. Wow. Set up a table of six at the feet of Michelangelo's David for them to have a dining experience. At the feet of this iconic statue, we had a string quartet, and then I had arranged that during their pasta, I would have a local entertainer serenade them. I had not disclosed to them that it was Andrea Bocelli that was going to do it. Wow, that's incredible. Now, Andrea turned up. The clients were turning up at 9. Andrea turned up at like 7.30 in the evening just to check where the best place for him to sing was that never had reverb, because if you haven't worked it out yet, David is the biggest piece of marble you've ever seen in your life. And there's loads of other pieces of marble around it. And it's a marble floor and it's a tile ceiling. It's the worst place for acoustics you could possibly think of. It's like singing in a toilet, you know? (laughs) So Andrea was moving around trying to find the best place with a little reverb. Um, And he was stood there and he was like, all of a sudden he goes, La, 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 and just started warming up his tonsils. Yeah. And I was stood right next to him and I thought, when am I ever going to get the chance to do this again? So he started and I went, la, 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 and I started doing it. <laughs> and he turns to his wife and he spoke to her in Italian. His English is okay, but Veronica's is fantastic. So he speaks to Veronica and asks, you know, basically, what is he doing? <laughs> you know? <laughs> so Veronica leans over and she said, Steve, um, what are you doing? And I said, look, when do you think the next chance would appear that I get the chance to do a duet with Andrea Bocelli? (laughs) And so she smiled, told Andrea this in Italian. He looked at me and laughed and went, (laughs) stop. Oh, wow. (laughs) (laughs) So So my duet lasted like 60 seconds, but I can say I duetted with Andrea Bocelli at the feet of Michelangelo's David. What a wonderful story, though. That's, that's <laughs> definitely memorable. I'm sure you have lots of great stories. There's a couple. Yes. Um, I know we talked about discovering your potential. Um, and a lot of people who 
watch the show and listen to the show haven't discovered their potential yet or are still looking for their potential, what what kind of advice would you give to them or um or even do you, are you working with coaching with people now? Uh, I'm assuming you you're very selective as to who you coach with. Well, I am very selective, but I am yes. Um, you see, I ran that concierge firm that was very much a Trojan horse to get me smarter. Um, I ended up doing a lot of marketing and branding uh, from you know the New York Fashion Week, Kentucky Derby to to Formula One. So we ended up launching Sims Media, which is a whole marketing and media and branding company. But when the book came out, nice. whoa, this was my shock. This was this was a real kick in the chest to me because I got asked to do the book and anyone out there that's trying to write a book, I know you're going to hate me. I was at a cocktail party. I was telling someone a story and they went, you should write a book. And they just happened to be part of Simon and Schuster. Uh -huh. So I was in the right place at the right time. <coughs> I didn't know anything about writing a book. I, I've got good friends. I've got Jay Abraham and a whole bunch of other great authors uh, as friends. But when I got the contract, I was like, who was this? You know, I've never written a book. When I wrote the book, I thought everyone was already doing this. Mm. I thought these are the simple, basic, stupidly ridiculous things that I do to get A to B, B to C, C to D. And I work like that. I work systematized all the way through. Yeah. I was stunned when I realized that people didn't do that. So that's when I got, hey, can you train this? Can you coach here? Can you speak here? So for the last four, four or five years, I've literally been traveling the world, speaking on some of the biggest stages. I've actually lectured at Harvard twice. Wow. Now, when you consider that I was kicked out of school at the age of 15, you know, lecturing on, you know, in, in Harvard, I've spoken at Stanford and uh, the Pentagon. So wow. is, I'm, I'm going to go with that's not too shabby. So I do coach a lot on this now, and there's a lot of misconceptions. There's a lot of people out there that are going, oh, I need to find my unicorn. I need to find what I'm passionate about. And people, a lot of the time, have actually linked passion with me. Here's the daft thing. You've got to be careful with working at what you're passionate about versus your true potential slash unicorn. Hmm. Okay? I'm passionate about fine whiskey and riding motorcycles. But you don't want to do those two things together. You know? <laughs> right. That's ridiculous. So I do what my potential is to allow me to do what I'm passionate about. Mm -hmm. They don't always have to be the same thing. And I always, and I'm going to steal this from Joe Polish. He talks about elf businesses, easy, lucrative, and fun. If you want to discover what your potential is, what are you good at that takes you little effort? Mm. Now, this could be, Painting. If you've ever seen an artist paint, yeah. they're so relaxed when they do it. And you go, how the hell can you do that? You know, you, it's your unicorn. So you've got to ask yourself, and you can do this. And I, this is going to sound ridiculous. But I suggest doing it when you've had a glass of wine or a whiskey. Okay? Hmm. Get your ambitious goal. Just a piece of paper and go, hey. What am I? What do I do that that I'm quite relaxed but pretty good at? Teaching kids soccer, um, drawing, 
uh, Excel spreadsheets, filling in your tax filings. Just put down stuff down there that is little effort to you, but scares the bejeebas out of somebody else. <laughs> That's great. Because what your potential is, is, and this is what all entrepreneurs do, we find an answer to a solution, nine times out of ten that aggravates us, and then we find other people with the same problem and invoice them to provide them the solution. That's that's as raw and as primitive as entrepreneurism 101. You've got to find what you can do that's easy, lucrative, and fun or at minimum stress-free. So what you're passionate about and what your unicorn is can be two things. I will tell you quite openly that near the back end of my concierge days, mm-hmm. I was getting very tired. Oh, I sure. was getting very um, put out by the same, you know, I want to meet this famous person. I want to get a picture with this. I want to go back. At the end of the day, once you've done every event three times, they get pretty monotonous and it can, it can become just a big bouquet of egos. And it becomes very stressful sometimes. But I was good at it. And it was easy for me to get done. So do focus on what's easy and lucrative for you that you can invoice somebody else and then use that to um, fuel what you're passionate about. And no one says you can find it today. I guarantee you what I was passionate about when I was 18, 25, 28, 32, 30, they all change. What I'm passionate about now, mm. spending time with my family, adopting dogs, riding motorcycles, and for a lot of the time being left alone and being very picky with the clients that I speak at, train at, and I coach. So it will change. What you're passionate about, what your potential is, and what your skill set is will change throughout life. Don't think you're going to find it as a finite answer. Uh, also, you mentioned uh, your NFTs too. I want to bring that up. <laughs> so uh, the, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna jump in at the deep end there. Yeah. People don't do what they don't know. How can you get educated fastest mm. than trying something that you don't know? Because that education comes on thick and fast. So there was all this talk about NFTs. And I was like, well, I don't know anything about NFTs. In fact, I know nothing about NFT. And I remember at the beginning, not even knowing what NFT stood for. Now, I knew it was non-fungible token, but I was like, the hell's a fungible token? You know, I've never (laughs) heard of this. Um, But that propelled me to try it, to Mm. become educated, because I love failing at things because then I become educated. So someone said, Oh, you stick a picture up and you sell it. And I thought, well, I don't understand how that works. You know, why would anyone buy it? You know? So I started looking into the market a little bit and I had someone put up some characters from my book. And, you know, I started off as a builder. Then I was a, a, you know, I was always been a biker. Then I worked in Monaco and then I worked at the Oscars and then I was a doorman. So I got these five pictures that represented kind of characters from my life. Mm. And what I wanted to do was I wanted to test the NFT market, but I wanted to cross-pollinate it. So what I wanted to do was I didn't want to just go, hey, here's a picture of me, buy it, give me the money. Right. 
I thought, let's cross-pollinate it from digital to real. So I put it up there, buy this token, and I will send you a signed copy of my book. So now you have a signed copy of my book and the token. Or buy this one and come to my book launch party. Or do this one and come to one of my speakeasies and the book launch party. So I started cross-pollinating with real-life experiences. Mm -hmm. And I... I put these through together, and it, when you get into uh, NFTs, you've got to mint them, and you can only mint a certain number. So we we minted these, minted a certain number, and then decided to release, I don't know, 30, you know, across all the different characters. Mm-hmm. And we thought, we'll see how we did. And I made mistakes. I realized that, you know, you had to do a lead time, because for someone to buy an NFT, they've got to have a wallet. Okay, Mm -hmm. if they've never had a wallet before, that can actually take like seven to 10 days to actually be able to get the money into it, set the wallet wallet up and transfer. It's quite a lengthy process when you really knew it. Mm -hmm. Um, But I put it up there. It did well financially, but it did better educationally. Mm. I realized, hang on a minute. If I'd have done this, I'd have quadrupled the amount of sales. But if I did this, I'd have been able to increase the life experiences. So we did that tranche, we learned about it, and as of today, we actually launched our second tranche of NFTs towards our book launch, that when you buy a certain NFT, you get this kind of experience. Now, Mm -hmm. the reason I'm saying that is for anybody out there, think about it, Nike, Apple, even Instagram apparently is going to be getting involved in uh, NFTs soon. People are moving into the NFT space. You don't have to be an expert in it to be able to utilize it. Mm. But maybe, like I do, buy this NFT, come to my speakeasy. I'm using it as a ticket to get into my event while still giving you a digital character that you can sell, you can trade. And the more popular I become, hopefully, (laughs) um, the more value that NFT will increase because sooner or later, all of the mintings would have gone out and you can't, you can't re-mint them. Once yeah. they're done, they're done. So if we ever release NFTs again in the future, we're going to have to do some new characters. Nice. I'm going to have to learn from you because I'm an illustrator. <laughs> so, there you go. And, and I don't even do NFT. Actually, you should. Cause it's a, and that's the, see now you're a perfect example. You've got a skill set. Yep. Okay. Now all you've got to do is if you – what is the difference? In fact, let me put you on the spot here. Sure. Could you do a picture of, I don't know, me with a dog? Could you yes. draw a picture? Yes. Could you make it a really beautiful digital picture? Yes. So you've got all the skill sets to be able to call yourself an NFT illustrator. Correct. So there's your – so people go, oh, I don't want an illustrator – but I do want someone who's an NFT designer. Oh, interesting. See, you, you're using the exact same unicorn, but now you're just putting it into a different sandpit. There's someone, because no one's going to Google for an illustrator if they're launching their own NFTs. True. But if you were to actually put somewhere in your bio, NFT designer, now oh, someone's really? going to come to you. Oh, I didn't even think of that. That's brilliant. You're welcome. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Uh, yeah, no, that, that sounds really interesting. Uh, so 
are your your the really interesting part is incorporating that with your event. So yeah, you can sell. That's brilliant. That's brilliant. Yeah, that was just it was just a different way of doing it. We do absolutely. these we do these events called. Um, can I talk about the event? Oh, absolutely. If you can, if you want to, absolutely, I'd love to hear. And again, I I don't. I'm not promoting the event. In fact, I'm telling you now, don't buy a ticket. Don't come. But I you do want you to tr- anything on our show. So. <laughs> <laughs> I do want people to think about how you can utilize what I do for you. Okay, I I have some credibility in certain circles, and in other circles, no one's ever heard of me, and that's fine. But I wanted to test it because the trouble with today's social world, and whenever you're looking at you. Those are the first things that come up in your search engines. So you may be getting an artificial view of how well you're showing up in the world. So I thought to myself, how's the easiest way to check my notoriety, but more importantly, my credibility. So I put an event together and here was the dumb thing. I didn't even have a title. I didn't know what it was going to be called. So I just went, Hey, I'm going to be, and this was the first time I did it. It was like three and a half years ago. I went, hey, I'm going to be in, in San Diego. I'm going to be there for two days. And it was like the 21st and 22nd of July. Come spend two days with me and my friends, $2,000. And there was a PayPal link. And that was the entirety of the information. I didn't tell you anything else. Oh. And the daft thing is, we didn't even have a name for it. You know, I had completely forgot that bit. Talking about, I own a media company and I paid no attention to anything I know. I literally just did that. And we started to get people spending two grand and actually buying tickets to my event. Hmm. And I then thought to myself, why are they doing that? Again, I've always remained a curious five-year-old. That is, I think, my secret source. I'm yeah. always curious. So the first people that started buying tickets, I phoned them up. And I remember the first phone call I, I made was to someone that I did know. And I phoned them up and I went, hey, I see you just signed up for San Diego. And they went, yeah, I did. And I meant this as a bit of a you know sarcastic joke. I went, what's your problem? Mm. You know, kind of making out was kind of like, are you an idiot? What's wrong with you? You know, I was being joking with him. Yeah. And I said, what's your problem? And I remember this. He turned around and he went, great question, Steve. I'm having trouble with this, this. And he told me. He actually told me what was an issue to him in his business today. Hmm. And I thought, hang on a minute. You've just told me what you want and what you want to get out of the event. So then I made another phone call and I went through all of the different people and I slightly diluted the message. But the next time I went, Hey, thank you very much for registering. But before we go into any more details, I want to understand what is holding you back today. What are your number one hurdles and problems in your business or life today? And I got this information out of them. And then how hard is it once you know what they want to look at the friends you've got that can answer their problems. And something struck me. You, you've been to events before, correct? Oh, yes. Yep. Right. Every event you go to, you probably know where it is, you know, what hotel or conference center it is, sure. who's speaking, what day it starts, what time it finishes. You've got all of these details, haven't you? Sure. Usually, yes. Yeah. 
So I thought to myself, I'm not going to give you any of those details. Interesting. Well, that's I'm going to reverse it rather than the focus being on, hey, go to this event. Richard Branson will be there. Steve Sims will be there. Gary Vee will be there. Rather than having them as the draw, mm-hmm. let me have your problem as the draw. Yes. I will alleviate your problem. You t- people, we've got sorry. Don't come along. This isn't the right environment for you. Some people are trying to sell stuff to our team. You know, all that kind of, but I've always wanted to guard my front room. But I remember when I was doing this, one of the guys turned around and they went, oh, you know what this is like, Steve? And I went, no. And he went, this is like a speakeasy. You don't know where it is until the final moment, mm. but you know where that's all the fun and where everything goes on that night. And so I went, hey, you're right. So from that day, they were called speakeasies, and we've run them all over America. Our next one is the 10th and 11th of March in um, – actually, May. 10th and 11th of May in uh, New York, and we're really looking forward to it. It's, it's going to be pretty phenomenal like all of they are. And, again, you don't know the exact location, but when you sign up, we tell you what hotel we're staying at uh-huh. uh, so that we know you, you're not too far away. But the Friday before, we tell you the location – and then we bring people in. And we've had Jay Abraham, Jim Quick, Ari Mizell, Ken Cragen. We've had uh, uh, gang members. We've had uh, um, head wow. of the Navy SEALs in there. We've had politicians. Yeah, we rock stars. Uh, we always try to bring people in that will kind of like amaze you that you never would believe you would ever be in that room with someone. Yeah. And they're there to answer your problem. So those mm. have done really well. But I challenge you, if you're wondering, do I have any credibility? Well, try and charge. That'll tell you. If someone's willing to pay you, then you have credibility. The one question I did want to ask you about, you mentioned uh, Tony Robbins potentially. As... Oh, the, yeah. Yeah. Oh, God. So I'll give you, I'll give you and your, your, your good folks listeners a story. When I was a bricklayer, I got a, I left bricklaying and I got a job at a warehouse. And the warehouse was owned by some American company. Um, and one of the guys, I would always mess around with the managers because, again, I always wanted to up my game. I wanted to talk to those people that were better than me. Mm-hmm. So I used to try and get in with the managers and talk to them and directors and marketing, try and learn what I could from them. And I got you know good friendly with one of the uh, the department heads. And he said to me, oh, he said, you know, what are you doing tomorrow? I was like, oh, coming to work. And he's like, well, you know, the, the, the office has bought a bunch of tickets to this event in, uh, in London. Uh, and one of them can't make it. Do you want to come? And I thought two things. I thought, one, I don't have to go to work. And two, I get to hang out with the managers for the day. So absolutely, I'm there. I didn't know anything about it. So I went home and said to my wife, oh, I'm off with the boys today. You know, I'll be able to kind of like learn a bit more from them because I'm just going to be with them. And they, they took me to an event in Wembley. There was Tony Robbins Awaken the Giant Within and Unleash. No, Unleash the Giant. What was it? Uh, Awaken the Giant and Unleash the Power or something. I can't remember. Yeah. But it was that event in Wembley. Wow. Now, I went there to try and connect with the managers but, of course, you can't talk to anyone when Tony's doing his thing for the entire day. Right. You're just mesmerized like a deer in headlights. But I remember watching and listening and absorbing 
Tony. And it was the first time I'd ever seen anything like that. And a lot of the time, when you meet good people like that, when they're saying things, they're talking to you. And you go, my God, that's what I'm worried about. And now you've given me the answer. He dramatically changed my life. Mm. And I went back and I remember I went back to my wife. I woke her up and it was like 11 o'clock at night. We talked all the way through the night, went downstairs, made some coffee, talked. We planned our perfect day, talked all the way through until nine o'clock the following day when we had to go to work and we were both late. Mm. Did not sleep that night. Wow. And I remember what a dramatic effect it had on my life. And I went out. And then as my book came out, and as I started speaking on a lot more stages, and I'm in Puerto Rico at the end of April with Gary V. I'm in Austin, Texas in September with uh, Richard Branson, a guy I've worked with many times. Um, and then out of the blue, about a month ago, I get contacted by Tony Robbins people. Mm. And they're like, hey. We want you to speak at our event. And they wanted me to speak at an event in Palm Beach in April, but it was my boy's birthday. Oh. And I was like, I so, so badly want to go. And even on YouTube, I've even done a video on there, mm. what Tony Robbins means to me and the chance of being on his stage. Okay. But I had to go to him and I went, look, as valuable as I think you are and what you've done in my life, I can't replace you with my son. I just can't do it. I pray you reconsider. So they came back to me and they went, we fully understand and respect that. We're going to find another date. So they're actually looking at dates at the moment to have me on one of the stage. So as I openly say, I would have gone from crowd to stage mm. for Tony Robbins. That is one hell of a coming of age full circle moment for me. Yeah, and I'm very excited. Yeah, it sounds incredible actually very really incredible yeah. well steve thank you so much it's been an honor and a pleasure for you to join us here and just listen to your incredible stories and uh, and i'd love again i'd love to have you again and you know be connected so thank we're you do, so we're much. do we're doing we're doing a, uh, we do a sequel Hey, with Star Wars in it, I'd we'll do it. a sequel. <laughs> I want to hear all about the Tony Robbins event. <laughs> that would be. Yeah, there you go. We'll be able to tell you by then. <laughs> yes, that would be that'd be incredible. Anyway, thank you, Steve. I truly appreciate it. Thanks for so, having me. This is Cindy Gilman, and you're listening to Discover Your Potential. So until next time, do something nice for yourself, but do something nice for someone else.